It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You are listening to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast Network. For more great filmmaking and screenwriting podcasts, head over to ifhpodcastnetwork.com. Today's show is sponsored by Rise of the Film Entrepreneur, how to turn your independent film into a profitable business. It's harder today than ever before for independent filmmakers to make money with their films, from predatory film distributors ripping them off to huckster film aggregators who prey upon them. The odds are stacked against the indie filmmaker. In Rise of the Film Entrepreneur, I break down how to actually make money with your film projects and show you how to turn your indie film into a profitable business. With case studies examining successes and failures, this book shows you the step-by-step method to turn your passion into a profitable career. The book is available in paperback, ebook, and of course, audiobook. If you want to order it, just head over to www.filmbizbook.com. That's filmbizbook.com. Hello, filmmakers. Welcome to the Indie Film Academy podcast. Today, we're talking with Ashley Scott Myers of SellingYourScreenplay.com. So, let's go! Welcome to the Indie Film Academy podcast, where it's all about learning how to make and market your independent film online. And now, your host, Jason Buff. Hello, and welcome to the IndieFilmAcademy.com podcast. <laughs> Wait, I think I said that wrong. Okay. Uh, welcome to the Indie Film Academy podcast. I am your host, your excellent host, Jason Buff. Um, I just watched the Saturday Night Live 40-year uh, reunion, so it was uh, that's in my brain right now. Um, and today we are going to be talking with Ashley Scott Myers of SellingYourScreenplay.com. Ashley's going to talk a lot about what you can do to you know, make a living or at least make some income as a screenwriter and, and the process of getting it out to producers and you know, a lot of good tips and things to make sure you're writing screenplays that actually sell and that will attract producers. So we'll get to that in just a second. Don't forget to sign up for our newsletter at IndieFilmAcademy.com. Dot com And also, if you enjoy this podcast, please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review if you have time. I know you're busy. It's rough out there, folks. I'm with you. Okay, here we go. Let's even go back further. You want to really get into the minutia. You know, one of the things that I think a lot of people miss, and it's, it's not just in um, screenwriting. It's in any walk of life or any business, any entrepreneurial pursuit. And screenwriting is definitely an entrepreneurial pursuit. I mean, you have to be self-motivated. You're creating a product. Your product is your screenplay. The marketing, the marketing of that product, 
um, begins way before, in my opinion, if you're smart, it begins way before you even write your screenplay. So if you finish your screenplay and then you say, okay, now I want to go and try and sell this screenplay, you've already made some critical errors. Um, you haven't thought through your marketing plan before you started writing your script. And I think that's crucial. And just to, to make some like, um, you know, parallels, I, I can pretty much guarantee you that when Apple was coming up with this idea for an iPhone, they didn't go and build a prototype iPhone. They didn't build that iPhone and then say, hey, look at this cool gadget. I wonder how we can market it. I can almost guarantee you one of the first conversations Steve Jobs had was with AT&T and with, with Verizon. And they said, how are we going to, if we can create this thing, which we're pretty sure we can create, how are we going to sell it? How are we going to market it? What's that going to look like? And so they knew before they built probably even before they started even on the initial plans the in initial schematics of building an iphone they already probably knew that at&t was going to take them on as a carrier they were going to be able to bundle this as an at&t uh, um, product so i think that's crucial especially for new screenwriters is to understand what you're trying to do before you start writing your script. If you write your script and then decide, well, now how am I going to market it? You may have written something that is completely unmarketable. So, you know, if you have, so, so I'm not sure that that answers your question, but I think that is a critical piece. Now let's just say you've thought that through what I've been doing. I mean, there's different plans, there's different plans of attack and there's different ways of marketing your script. Um, I mean, this is an independent film it's called independent film academy so you know i've i've spent my career basically writing and selling scripts in the independent world now it's very much the like you know genre films it's the true independent film most people think of independent film as like the sundance films and those are really just anomalies they're not um i don't know that there's really like a a a cohesive business model to most of what goes on at sundance there you know there's a million films that get made like that and only one or two maybe not millions but let's say you know hundreds every year if not thousands of those sundance art house films get made every year maybe one or two of them break out so i don't know that that's like a real a business plan that you can count on. I think there's a certain amount of just catching lightning in a bottle. What I've done is I've written genre films and, and I have not really worked at the studio level and it's not really, I, I would say it's not necessarily by choice. I mean, it would be great to, to break in at that highest level, but I've just had the most luck writing these sort of, you know, independent genre films. And you can look me up on IMDb to get a kind of a feel for what I'm talking about. So Maybe just to answer your question, what I'm doing specifically is I, I am constantly talking to producers, um, asking them, you know, and these are producers either I, I meet um, through an email or a fax blast. Maybe I meet them on Ink Tip. Maybe I just meet them at, a, at an event or networking, meet them through other people that I know. And I'm constantly asking them, what kind of material are you looking for? So that I kind of have my finger on the pulse of, or at least I try to have my finger on the pulse of what is actually selling. So when I'm writing a script, I have some idea about what I'm going to do with it once I'm done with it. And what I've been having success with the last few years, as I said, is these genre films. So I've been writing these films and they typically are, you know, very cost conscious, um, 
a lot of the producers I'm talking about, there's some sort of a threshold, and I'm not sure the exact number of SAG, like low budget or ultra low budget. It's around six hundred thousand or six hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. You got to be below that. So it seems like a lot of producers that I'm dealing with are trying to get films under that number. So let's say around six hundred thousand dollars. So you, a lot of the scripts that I'm writing are are very cost conscious. Um, you know, meaning limited locations, limited sets, um, and as I said, they're genre films. So they're horrors, thrillers, sci-fi thrillers, not so much comedy and, and definitely not dramas. Um, so I, I finish a script. I already have a pretty good idea about what I'm going to do with it. Now, for myself, I have a, a large database of emails and fax numbers, and that's really been my, my, that's been my single biggest source of, of optioning and selling scripts over the last few years. And this is a service that I offer at my, my website. So anybody is, is free to go and, and use this. There is a small fee to use it, but it's the same list that I'm using. So I finish a script and I basically start sending it out to this email and fax list. And it's basically cold query letters. I write a, a best log line that I can write. I bite the, write the best query letter that I can write. And then I send it out to my email and fax list. I also will do, um, you know, the blacklist and I will also do ink tip. I don't, th- I have not had any real luck on the blacklist at all. I think the films that seem to be succeeding there are more higher end studio type projects. I don't know if these sort of low budget genre films are succeeding on the blacklist, but I haven't had a lot of luck on the blacklist, but I do think that there's a lot of potential upside. So I continue to submit my scripts to the blacklist. And then I also submit them um, to ink tip. Um, and sometimes I, I've had, I've had, I haven't had any true successes through ink tip, but I've had some near misses where I've had meetings and, and almost been hired on projects, almost option stuff. So I do think ink tip can definitely work. Um, so I do ink tip. And then, as I said, I do my email and fax blast list. And then the next component of that is, um, I have a long list of, you know, producers at this point in my career of producers that I've worked with, or I've, um, you know, maybe they've read something over the years of mine that they liked. They seem genuinely to like it. So I've got all of those people in 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 a folder, a Gmail folder, and it's literally I created a a Gmail folder called "Genuinely Liked Something I Wrote," and those people I label those emails with them. So you know, there might be twenty or thirty people in there, forty people in there. And so when I finish a script, I will send and I'll send a custom email to each one of those and. Um, just send it out saying, Hey, you know, I've just completed this new script. Um, here's the pitch for it. And I might even start off with a little bit of an opening. Like if there's, if we met or if they were working on a project, I might say, Hey, you know, remember I sent you my script, my baseball comedy script, the unnatural a few months ago, you seem to like it. Here's my new script. Or if we've met or I know something about what they're working on, I might just make some small talk. Hey, how's that project going with that other, you know, with that actor or that director or something. Um, so that's basically, I would say sort of my, once I finish the script, that's kind of what I go about doing um, to get the thing optioned and then hopefully sold. Now, do you ever talk to producers before you begin a screenplay and, and say, you know, and pitch an idea before you, you actually write the screenplay? Well, yes and no. Um, I would say at kind of the level that I'm operating on, it's unlikely that um, – I'm going to get any upfront money. So yes, I am talking to producers constantly and I'm trying to understand what they think they can sell and not, not sell what they think they can get funded. Cause that's really the goal is to get these movies funded and writing a script that they think they can sell. So I do talk to them and I do now I don't, I don't necessarily write something a hundred percent specifically for 
them. But I mean, as an example, I, over the last, I would say 12 months, I've been getting a lot of producers saying, you know, sci-fi thrillers, you know, they can play well overseas. There's a lot of potential upside. If the script and the movie is really good, there's a lot of potential upside. So a lot of the producers, <coughs> excuse me, a lot of the producers I've been talking with have been telling me sci-fi thriller. So I, I just completed a sci-fi thriller a couple of months ago. So I don't, you know, and I sent it to those producers that, that said they wanted it. I did send it to them to see if they might be interested in it, but I don't, I don't necessarily write, like they don't get necessarily give me an outline. Um, I mean, I have, I have producers that it's, it's a difficult thing. I don't like to get in. I mean, I do have some producers sometimes that will come to me with like an outline and say, Hey, would you write this on spec? Um, and you know, then, you know, I'll go out and try and sell it. I don't like doing that. If they want to pay me some money, I have done that. I mean, that's just a paid writing assignment. I've definitely done that. But writing something specifically for them that they somehow have like a controlling interest in, um, you get tied to that producer. And then when it doesn't work out with that producer, you're basically sort of stuck. There becomes some, some legal issues about who owns the rights to what, if they came up, if they presented you with a treatment, um, so I'm not sure if that answers your question, but yeah, I mean, I do definitely talk to producers and I do definitely try and write stuff that the producers who I'm talking with stuff that I think that they can, they can potentially like that they'll potentially like and potentially get funded. Now, the majority of these production companies, are they all kind of in the same level in terms of the stuff that they're producing? Is it primarily direct to VOD market stuff or is it, what, what are the, the production companies that you have the most luck with, with that kind of screenplay? I don't know that there's a, a crystal clear answer on that. Um, I, as I said earlier, I definitely think there's a lot of producers that I'm kind of talking to, and they seem to be in that like five dollars $600,000 budget range. Um, but I also think that most of the producers, I mean, everybody, all, every producer that I talk to, ultimately, you know, they want to be making the $100 million films, just like I want to be writing the $100 million films. So ultimately, every producer I talk with, and in fact, you know, this is a good example. I'm currently writing a sci-fi you know, action adventure script. And this, I'm writing it with a partner and we've kind of wanted to, we, we kind of, we've in our discussions, we said, well, let's write something that's higher end, you know, sort of a real studio level project. One of the producers who I've been, I optioned a couple of scripts to him last year. He tried to get them funding that kind of didn't work out, but we've kept a relationship going. He's looking for something. He has a video game director that he's working with. And, um, I pitched him this project and he said, oh, that sounds perfect. So, you know, when I finish this script, I'll definitely give to him i think there's a chance that he will option it but you know he's he's producing he's producing movies that are in this you know less than million dollar over the last let's say five years he's done maybe three four five of these movies that are less than one million dollars but like everybody in hollywood he wants to produce this you know the 50 million the 80 million the 100 million dollar movie so i think most production companies are at least on some level trying to um you know level up and produce something above what they maybe have done before. So most, you know, realistically, is this guy going to get this movie funded? It's, it's going to be a big budget action, sci-fi action adventure. It's going to be a hundred million dollar movie. Is this producer going to be able to get it, you know, funded? I, I don't know, but, um, you know, he'll try and I have a relationship with him. So that might be my best bet, but everyone's trying to level up, but you know, I don't know exactly what all these production companies are thinking in terms of what they might um, be able to fund or not fund. Um, you can look them up on IMDb, and most of them, most of the ones I'm dealing with, they are, um, I would say, less than a million dollars is most of the films that they're doing. But they want to produce bigger stuff. 
Now, if when you send a screenplay off and you have interest in it, and let's say the best case scenario is they they're interested, what what is the next step after they say that they're interested? Do you do you give them a pitch or or where do you go from there? Usually, yeah, no, sure. Let's go through that thing. So so as I said, I do a lot of cold query letters, and I've had a lot of luck with them over the last few years. So yeah, I have a log line, a, a basic query letter with a log line, and then I have um, a nice um, little sort of a paragraph that is my bio, you know, my resume biography. So that's basically what the query letter is. Here's the, would you like to read this script? Here's the log line. Here's who I am. You know, let me know if you want to read the script. That's sort of the summation of the query letter. So I send that off. And then what will typically happen is, and we're talking about like, you know, less than 1% um, of these thousands of query letters I'm sending out. You get, might get less than 1% that say, okay, I'll read this. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Script, and that's that's totally fine. Um, I'm doing it on such a large scale, as I said, sending out thousands and thousands of query letters that even at less than 1%, I'm still getting dozens of script requests. So then people will email me back. Sometimes they'll phone call, but generally they'll just email back, say, yeah, this sounds like a project that I would be interested in reading. Can you send it along? Um, I would say that's like, you know, of the of the people who request the script or the responses, the positive responses I get, that's probably, you know, 98% of them. Every once in a while, I will get somebody um, saying, can you send me a longer synopsis? So then I have a longer one or two page synopsis. I'll send them a one or two page synopsis. Every once in a while, someone will look at my website. You can go to ashleymyers.com. You can see all of my various other projects. So sometimes I'll send my query letter out and I will put my website in there. So every once in a while, someone will say, well, this project you're pitching isn't for me, but I might, I would read one of your other projects. So the bottom line is, is so I get these, these positive responses and typically it's a PDF. Every now and then someone will want a hard copy, but most of the time someone will say, hey, let's get a, send me a PDF. So I'll email them the PDF. And I would say 90% of the time I never hear anything back. I probably should be a little better about following up with them. Um, I definitely recommend, but you know, sometimes you'll start to get some responses within a week or two of people who you've sent the script to and they'll say, yeah, you know, it's not quite what we're, we're looking for. No, thank you. We're going to pass. Um, every once in a while you'll get someone who they, they don't, for whatever reason, they don't think this project is right, but they seem to like your writing. And so I'll typically respond to those people with, hey, what 
if it just seems like a pat email where they just really were not digging the script at all, I will typically, and they respond basically it's a pass. I typically will just let those go and I won't, I won't follow up. If they seem to actually like the writing, but this project wasn't quite right, I will then ask them, Hey, what kind of stuff are you looking for? And by the way, again, I will mention my website. Maybe there's something else you might find. And if they tell me what they're looking for, then I can look at my log lines myself and I can basically say, well, what about this script and what about this script? Try and get them to read some other stuff. And then, you know, so that's like most of the, most of the people who respond are passing on the script. And then a few people will get back to you. There's all sorts of offers. You know, once, once they've read the script, they like the script. There's all sorts of offers. It's everything from soup to nuts. I mean, sometimes, um, as I said, I've written some, some sort of lower budget stuff that's pretty contained. So on sort of the low end of the spectrum, sometimes I'll get, you know, directors and producers and they basically want to make the movie for, you know, a $30,000 budget, the ultra micro budget, you know, project. And then sometimes you'll, you'll get people that, you know, they want to option the script and then it becomes a negotiation. I've never had anybody just flat out want to buy the script. It's, there's always an option and it's usually for at least six months. Generally they want, like a six month option with the right to renew it for, you know, maybe three other six month blocks. So you're talking like maybe two years, basically they want an option. Generally in this climate, most of the time it's very difficult to get any real money out of a producer. Um, so a lot of times they just want to do a free option. What I typically try and do is get them say, well, how about I give you a free 90 day option? And then it's $500 for an additional six months, at least try and get something out of them. Um, I've probably had 20 or 30 options over the course of my career. And I can look at the, you know, the five or the six scripts that I've actually sold in every case. Um, I've never had a free option. I would say at least half, if not more of the options I've done have been free options. And, um, I've never had a free option actually make it into production and get made. So that's definitely worth considering. I also, one other thing that I highly consider, I, 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 you know, when I'm negotiating, there's a lot of considerations. Another thing is all the people who have bought my scripts and then actually produced a movie from the script, every single, in every single instance, the person had a track record of making at least one or two films before my film. And I've optioned a lot of scripts to like first time producers fresh out of film school, or maybe they've worked as like a line producer, but they've never actually been a producer. And again, none of those options have ever actually made it. It's really difficult to make a movie. So these are the things I consider if, if someone has never produced a movie before and they want a free option, I'm a lot le less likely to give it to them. Cause I basically know that's probably not going to go anywhere. If a producer has a track record and they want a free option, I'm maybe a little more open to it because I know that at least they've produced some movies and they at least have a chance at getting this movie produced. Ideally, they have a track record and you can get a few dollars out of them. As I said, typically, if I can get if I can give them a free 90 day option, that will will satiate some of them and they'll figure that they can get some um they can just they can decide if they have interest in it in the script or not in 90 days and then if they think that hey this script actually has legs then they might pay the 500 or 1000 dollars for the additional 6 months now when somebody options your screenplay what are the legal issues of that are they able to 
make the the film with the option or do they have to actually purchase the screenplay to make the film and have the rights? Correct. Correct. The, I mean, the option agreement and, you know, I, everyone asks me questions. I mean, I'm no lawyer. And so you definitely would, as with any, as with any legal, um, you know, legally binding document, you would want to seek, you know, the help of a, you know, professional attorney on this. And I, I have an attorney that I work with that reviews all of my contracts at this stage um, of my career. So you, most of the, most of the option agreement, basically you're giving them, it, it is what it says. It's literally an option. The producer has an exclusive right to purchase your material. And, and for that, as I said, they will generally pay you something for that exclusive right. And that means you cannot not then take it out to other producers and sell it to them. This producer is secure in knowing that if they find the financing, if they package this film, they feel secure that you're not out there trying to sell this to other producers. And that's basically what it is. But then generally, it's I mean, there's generally like a payment schedule, but just to make it simple, generally the the option agreement will say something like on the first day of principal photography, you know, payment, the option must be exercised on the first day and payment must be made on the first day of, of principal photography. So, you know, basically they are not going to go and shoot your movie until they've actually paid you. And that's for their benefit too. I mean, they want to make sure when they go into production, truthfully, they want to pay you as soon as they know that they have funding because they, if they're going, if there's going to be a problem, if you're going to, you know, refuse to sign the the final you know purchase agreement they want to know that as soon as possible so it's in it's in the producer's best interest to pay you really as soon as possible and that's what i've always found generally speaking as soon as the producers get funding they're happy to pay you and buy the script because at that point they know the movie's going to get made and so the sooner the better but yes they do have to pay you they have to exercise the option and pay you before they go into production and is the option typically a percentage of what the final price of the screenplay will be? Um, no, it's really not. And I think with the WGA, like if you're under a WG contract, I think it might be like I think it might be ten percent or something. I'm really I'm not in the WGA, so I'm not up on all that. But as I said, the the option price where 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 I'm basically dealing with these producers it's um you get what you can take and whatever you however good your negotiation skills are that's how much money you will be able to get and it it, it has no bearing I won't say no bearing but it has very little bearing on the actual purchase price of the of the of the material um it, it it is often the um the the um, the amount of money like let's just say to make the math easy it's a thousand dollars and let's say they're going to buy the script for thirty thousand dollars they can take that thousand dollars and apply it against the final purchase agreement so when they exercise the option they don't pay you thirty thousand dollars they pay you twenty nine thousand because they've already given you one thousand dollars so the option money generally speaking it will apply against the final purchase price. Is there a general guideline in this kind of range of screenwriting in this type of film? And I know it's kind of a general question, but what what are screenplays going for? I mean, just for for people who are out there writing screenplays, what what can they expect to to be paid for a low budget feature film screenplay? Sure. I mean, I think it it's I've I've always found that it's pretty uniform and I've never really had too many producers bulk. I mean, the the bottom line with these things I mean, a, a movie that's being made for $600,000, I mean, it seems like a lot of money if it's just like in one person's bank account. But to make a movie and to spread that over the things, it's like there's there's not really that much negotiation that you're going to be able to do. And what I've found, I mean, the, the number that I've basically found is 
and I've, I've never had a producer balk at this. You basically, the writer can expect to get between two and 3% of the production budget. I think the WGA has their own scale, um, you know, WGA minimums and stuff, but on these sorts of independent films, you know, two to 3% of the production budget is what you can expect. And there's some legalese in that there's like, on like a $500,000 movie, there might be like um, $80,000 worth of like completion bond costs, financing charges. Like if they're financing the movie through a bank, um, there's there's certain things that will sort of bring the, the budget down. And you you may not be paid as a writer on some of those additional expenses, as I said, like completion bonds and finance charges. So a $500,000 budget might only be 420000 but you're going to get between 2 and 3%. And I mean, that works, frankly, even on the micro budget level. If someone is going to make your movie for $100,000, the most you really can expect as a screenwriter is $3,000. And I mean, that makes sense. It's like if, if they're going to produce an entire movie on a $100,000 budget, they can't pay the writer $30,000. I mean, that just doesn't economically doesn't make sense They're They can afford to pay the writer, you know, two to $3,000. And that's, that's really the, the extent of, of the negotiation. Are you going to get 2%, 2.5% or are you going to get 3% of the production budget? I've never found anything really outside of those numbers. So you can, it's pretty simple math. $500,000 budget is, is, you know, if you get close to the 3%, you're going to get about $15,000. Let's say you sell the script and everything is, is works out um, following this road. At what point uh, do you continue working with the screenplay? Does, is there a, a contract that says, okay, you'll have like a title card, you'll have these things, and you'll have rewrites or, or anything like that? Or, or is it just theirs? At the point that you sell it, they can change it, they can do with it what they want to. Well, yeah, and that point is not when you sell it. That point is when you option it to them. Um, okay is the but all that stuff i mean there's sort of like there there's like the option agreement and there's always a statement in the option agreement that says um you know when they exercise the option you'll you agree to sign a document with all the customary things in the industry and that's like later down the road when they actually do the purchase and that's a much longer document um but these things that you're talking about like yes you'll be given screen credit with with your own title card you know um that stuff is worked out ahead of time and it's in the option agreement. All that stuff is very, very important. Rewrites, exactly what you're saying. That stuff is important. Um, it's important to understand. And that's the other big thing. I mentioned those, those other two things is the when I'm, when I'm deciding if I should option this script to a producer, that's the third very, very large key thing to pay attention to is the rewrites. So there's those three things. There's the, um, is this right? Is this producer going to pay for the option? Do they have a track record as a producer? And the third thing is how many, how much rewrites do they want and what kind of rewrites do they want? And are they going to basically, in my opinion, destroy this script? And it's kind of a sliding scale. The more I think they're going to destroy my script, the, um, the, the more that I'm going to charge them and, you know, the less inclined I am to take a, a small option fee or a small, um, you know, fee on the, on the, um, on the payment. And generally speaking, what I've found is producers before that's the one thing I'll say before you sign the option agreement, that's the one moment 
that the writer actually has some real leverage because the producer has just read dozens, if not hundreds, if not thousands of screenplays that he doesn't like. He's read yours and now he likes it. And now he's trying to get you, cajole you into signing this option agreement. So it's the one moment where you have leverage. And what I've found is you can, generally speaking, you can kind of just ask the producer these questions. And I've never found that producers really are, are not fairly candid. And you can ask them, well, what sort of budget do you anticipate making this film for? And generally, whatever budget they talk about, um, oh, we're going to make it for a million dollars. Generally, whatever budget they mention will be kind of an optimistic estimate. So it'll probably be well below that. I've never had it go way higher than that. And so a lot of times producers will want to put like a four and a ceiling in the option agreement. Like, okay, but if we do this film for five million, you know, we're not going to pay you two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Um, we're going to cap you at like a hundred thousand dollars. And generally speaking, that's fine. But the thing that you want to do is you want to ask them, hey, what's the minimum you're going to produce this movie? Oh, I would say a million dollars. Great. Well, if I'm getting three percent of the budget, then let's put a floor of thirty thousand dollars into the contract. So in these early stages, you can negotiate a lot of these things. And as I said, you have leverage because the producer doesn't want to go back to the drawing board and have to read another couple hundred scripts to find that one he likes. He likes yours. So this is the one moment where you can actually ask for some things and get them. And and that's the the, the rewrites. And that's the third point I wanted to make. So you want to ask the, the, the producer, well, what kind of rewrites do you see making? And this is not, you don't want to argue with the producer. You don't want to like do a lot of talking. This is the moment for you to listen and just listen to his ideas and, and decide if you think his ideas are good. Again, producers are always unbelievably candid at this moment. And they'll generally tell you, oh, well, I think we should completely rewrite this and completely rewrite that. And you just nod your head politely and then you mull it over and you decide if you think that's really the the proper vision for your script. And you have to do that before you sign the option agreement. Once you sign the option agreement, they own, they basically can do anything they want to the script and, um, and they have the right to eventually buy and make that movie. So once you've signed the option agreement, you don't have any, any real leverage at that point. You've signed your leverage away. So you definitely want to take note of what kind of rewrites. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. They want, are you going to be involved with those rewrites? That can be a very painful process. Um, and, and, and a lot of times, I mean, it's like a lot of times, a lot of these, I'll have some old script that I'm not doing anything with. And it's like, I can tell the re, the producer is going to completely ruin the script, at least in my estimation. But it's like, well, as long as I don't have to do the rewrites, you know, just let him do it and see, and see if he can actually get the movie made. Um, so they're definitely, you know, these are things to consider. Right. So the, the, anybody trying to sell a screenplay should really think of the option as the moment when they should negotiate rather than the selling part of the screenplay. Absolutely. There's no, there is no negotiation when you sell because you're, you're basically saying in the option agreement, I will sell you this script for X amount of dollars, you know, 
And here for, for this, I'm going to get, I'm going to get a credit. I'm going to get, you know, the first writer refusal for, to, for writing prequel, sequel remakes. You know, there's going to be a bunch of things in, in this option agreement, but once the option agreement is, is spelled out, there's no more negotiation. Everything is, is decided in the option agreement. And then once they want to purchase the script, all they have to do at that point is, you know, send you a letter and cut you a check and they've exercised the option. There's nothing you can do in terms of negotiating at that point. And they send you a contract and you have your lawyer look at it and, and all that? Correct, correct. And I mean, the option the option agreements can be very simple. I mean, I've signed option agreements that are just like three pages. I mean, we've covered like, you know, I mean, there might be some things that I'm forgetting, but most of the things like, you know, as I said, the the um, the amount of the, the, the time, the option agreement will be about um, how long is is um is the option good for you know three months six months two years it'll talk about how much they're going to have to pay you when they want to exercise the option and they're going to talk about your credit and they're going to talk about um it's going to talk about um you know there might be something like producers net maybe a little bit of back end there's going to be that's it there's like five or six main points in this option agreement so i've signed agreements that are like you know 3 5 pages they can be short sometimes producers will present these 20 or 30 page option agreements and that's usually just a nuisance more than anything else but um the option agreements are fairly simple but it lays out all this stuff that we've been talking about explicitly you know it explicitly says this is what's going to happen and um and that's basically that are there any red flags that go up sometimes when you're talking to a producer and they're like, okay, well, maybe this this wouldn't be the best idea to sell to this guy? You know, not really. I mean, as I said, I mean, I've been doing this for a long time and I've signed dozens of option agreements. And, you know, I've, I, I don't know. I, I just I've never felt like producers were um, and, I, and I'll take that back. I, there definitely are some, you know, some times where I felt like the producers are sort of you know, they're hoping that they've found a babe in the woods who doesn't really understand how everything works. But once they understand that that's not the case, um, as I said, all this stuff, there's not that much to negotiate. It's like, um, you know, I mean, I, I had a producer offer me last year. Um, they just basically were like, well, and I don't, and again, I don't think they were trying to be shady or anything, but they wanted to make the movie on a lower budget. I knew they wanted to do a lot of rewrites and they said, we'll give you $2,000 for the script and we'll just buy it outright. And I was like, well, you know, why would I do that? I don't need the $2,000 and I know you're going to rewrite it and ruin it. So, you know, <laughs> it's, it's like, why, why, what, what's in it for me? Um, and so there are, there have been those situations where I've turned it down, but I mean, they were going to make the movie for less than a hundred thousand dollars. So I don't think the $2,000 was an inappropriate, um, amount, like they weren't trying to cheat me, but I do think that there was a disconnect where there wasn't, there just wasn't anything in it for me. Um, as I said, I knew they, they had already talked about, Oh, we got this friend who's a writer and they already told me what their ideas were. And I didn't think any of them were any good. And they were only going to pay me $2,000. And it's like, what do I need another crappy credit to my name. I don't need the $2,000. So, so what, what am I getting out of this, this process? Um, so, you know, I didn't, I didn't sell it to him, but I don't, I don't know if there's any red flags, like people are trying to cheat. I don't know. I mean, there's, there's all these horror stories, um, about, you know, producers, you know, wolf, you know, the wolves, the, the lambs being led to the slaughter, but it's like, I've, I've never found that. And I don't know, maybe it's just cause I'm more business minded and I think these things through a little bit. Um, but I've never had any real problems. Um, 
you know, where produce, where I felt like producers were trying to cheat me and, and there's red flags. The, I would say the, the, the one scam that I've heard about over and over again is where, per, you know, so-called producers find a, a writer who is, you know, new and they'll be like, oh, this movie's awesome. You know, we need a little seed money. Can you put up the first, you know, $20,000, the first $10,000, the first $50,000? I've heard of that scam where producers try and get money from the actual writers, you know, supposedly as seed money. And that is the scam that I've seen numerous times. So don't definitely avoid something like that. I mean, the producer is the one who should be raising the money. If you're going to have to put up the money and you're going to have to go help to raise the money, which is basically paying this upfront seed money, I would say that is a scam and that is something to definitely avoid. You shouldn't be paying a producer to to option your movie. They should be paying you. Now, you you mentioned the blacklist and I know that you're not all that keen on those guys, you know, in terms of the service they offer. But do you think that if you're trying to sell a screenplay or get somebody to look at it, have you ever heard of anybody using their scores to kind of say, hey, look what scores I got, you know, to show that the screenplay was good in some way? Yeah, I think I think that would be I have heard of that. And I think that's a perfectly good. Um, and I, I, I think I think you're being maybe a little bit. um reading in a little bit i i don't think the i i I think the blacklist is a good service as i said i think there's enormous upside to it i just think if you again when you're marketing your script you need to look at the blacklist and look at the scripts that are succeeding on it um you know low budget genre films are not the films that are succeeding go and look at the films that are are getting the high scores there and decide if if your film fits into that sort of template or that you know is similar to that so i think it's a matter of um i mean the 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 annual blacklist comes out i mean it's usually more sort of very original non-commercial fare and that's what um and i actually the, the podcast episode that's coming out this monday um december 8th um it's a podcast with Corey mandel who's a screenwriter and a teacher and we actually talk about this his his whole sort of premise is you know write something that's hugely original and um you know just completely you know unique to your voice and that's the best way to break into studio screenwriting and i totally agree with that assessment and i think if that's the kind of script you've written um then the black Blacklist is an excellent place to put it. Well, I, that's not what I'm writing. I'm writing, as I said, lower budget genre films, and they're not necessarily getting good marks on the blacklist, even though I am able to option and sell these scripts to to actual real producers. So I think it's it's a matter of just figuring out where your where your script fits in, and then um, trying to find the market for it. Aside from doing the query letters and and. Following that process, are there other ways that you think that you can kind of make contacts with people and and break into the industry as a writer? Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, we've just talked about the blacklist. I definitely think the ink ink tip and what I have found on ink tip is most of the producers on ink tip are more of this ilk that I'm talking about, the independent genre film that seems to be what these producers are looking for more. So, I mean, not in every case, it's not, there's no absolutes, but I would say if you, if you've written sort of a lower budget genre film, ink tip seems like a great place. I mean, ink tip has a lot of successes. Um, I've interviewed on my podcast, um, uh, Gerald LeBaron, who's the um, founder of it. I mean, he, he seems like a really good guy. He, I know from producers I've talked to, he is out there like 
calling producers on a daily basis saying, hey, man, if you're looking for material, maybe we can help you find it. So he's a real um, he's really out there fighting for writers and, and trying to get producers um, material. So so Ink Tip is another good thing. Um, I mean, just basic networking. I mean, I've heard of people. I, this is not something I've done, but I've heard of people um, networking on social media, whether it be Twitter or Facebook, you know, friending these people and just trying to engage them, engaging producers um, on social media and eventually once you get to know them at least superficially on social media after a while then maybe you could you could pitch them one of your scripts and i've heard of that actually working where i had i had a writer that actually um he just engaged people and again it's not you don't just hey man i got a script will you read it you engage them over the course of several weeks and months and actually talk about you know respond to their tweets and um make intelligent remarks and then once they get to know you um and they start maybe responding to some of your tweets then maybe it's time that you can ask them to read one of your scripts and i i know at least one writer who optioned a script that way so i think that's another way especially if you're not living in hollywood if you don't have any money to spend on something like ink tip or my my um my selling your screenplay um email and fax blast service i think that's a great way just it takes a little bit of time and effort but i think it's a great way to um to meet people and potentially um, option or sell something. Now, what are the typical mistakes you see screenwriters make? You know, somebody's written their screenplay and they want to get it out to people. What What's like the taboo thing that you see people doing that really doesn't work at all or kind of turns off producers? Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure. As I said, I would say, and I've, I've written about this on my blog. Um, the, the number one mistake I think people make is, you know, writing a script and not considering exactly how they're going to market this script before they've written it. Then, and, and you know, the, a, a sort of a symptom of that is writing a script and then trying to write the logline once you're finished the script. I mean, you should write your logline before you write your script so that you know you have a marketable logline, a good solid logline. You don't want to write a script where where you can't write a good logline for it. If you can't write a good logline for it, I'm not sure you should be writing that script. So, those are the kinds of things more just thinking through the process before you actually start on your script. Um I think is imperative and that's what I I mean I get a lot of these people on my forum and my blog and you know, they've written that, you know, it's the passion piece, you know, my experience at camp or my experience, you know, with the, with the big brother program, you know, it's, it's, these are like maybe heartwarming stories, but I just, I don't know where you're going to be able to sell a script like that. Um, so I, I would definitely consider that before you start to send it out, before you even start to write, consider where you're going to potentially market this script and understand how it's going to fit in and what you're going to do with it. Do you find that the market has kind of become oversaturated because, you know, making a film has gotten so much cheaper with technology and everything? Are there just production companies? It seems like they're just sprouting up all over the place. Yeah, I mean, in theory, that should be a good thing for writers um, because, you know, more 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 productions means more stuff is getting produced and and more scripts are are getting produced. So that should be a good thing. I don't know. I mean, um, Maybe there is. I don't know. I mean, I just know, as I said, when I started sort of in the mid to late 90s, um, I, I, you know, I, I don't know that it's any easier now. I don't really notice a huge difference. I mean, it's always been tough to make a movie. Um, I definitely know. I think it was 1995, The English Patient, whatever year it won the Academy Award. And it was like literally all five of the films 
in best the the best picture films that year the, that year the English Patient won all five of them were you know independent film like the English Patient and and I know as I said that sort of bled into the late nineties the early two thousands where this was there was a kind of a um, I, I saw sort of a real surge and in an interest. Everybody wanted to make, you know, these these great independent films. Um, and so there did seem to be sort of a surge at that point. Um, but I, I don't know. It's always been tough to, to sell a script and to make a movie, um, to sell a movie and to, to make a movie and actually have that movie make a profit. It's always been a tough business. Um, and maybe it's tougher now than before, but um, it's just always been tough. So I don't know. Let me talk a little bit about your process of writing a screenplay. In general, how, how long does it take you? more or less from start to finish from when you begin with the concept and begin, you know, outlining or whatever to say, how many drafts do you usually do? Like five, six, you know, everyone has to find their own process. I mean, I, most of the time, if you get like a paid writing assignment, most of the time, you know, they're going to give you eight to 12 weeks to write a script. You know, you might, you might have an outline to start with or some loose story idea, but, um, so if you're going to be if you're going to be a professional writer and you know get a get paid writing assignments you're going to have to produce scripts in a couple of months or less um you're going to have to be able to write quickly on a spec script i would say my process is probably more like 6 months i mean there's no like set deadlines with a spec script you're kind of writing at your own pace so i would say it takes me about 6 months i'm in a writers group which i really like and um with that writers group i present you present basically about 25 pages every once a month so you know after about 4 months you've basically presented a full script you know you you rewrite different you know different sections and represent it but i can write a script in about 6 months i would say there's maybe two or three drafts in that six months, I'd spend a lot of time doing the outline. So my first drafts, I feel like are reasonably, pre- reasonably good and presentable. I have presented it to this writer's group. So by the time I have kind of what I would consider a first draft, which is, you know, past maybe the rough draft stage, um, I would say I generally have something that I'm okay with sending out. And but generally, you know, there's a rough draft and then a first draft and then maybe kind of like a polished draft where you just do some additional tweaks. So you're talking maybe two or three drafts and then I will start, I'll start sending the script out. And generally, if you option the script, um, there's going to be some rewriting at that point. But I would say that's kind of the extent of it. Do you send out a screenplay with the idea that the producer is going to look at it and kind of judge it moreover for the concept and the the viability and how much of a profit they can make versus and, and say to themselves, hey, I can I can do a couple of rewrites and then it'll be perfect. You know, you don't send it out like you don't spend 10 months making sure everything is absolutely perfect. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, and I don't, I don't want to make it quite sound like that. Cause I'm, I'm pretty, <laughs> okay. I'm pretty happy with the script when I send it out, but I basically know that, you know, anybody who options the script is going to want some additional rewrites. Now, when you're writing, what is your process for writing? You start with the idea and what do you do? Do you do note cards? Do you put together an outline with like Save the Cat or anything like that? Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely have an outline. I like Save the Cat. So understanding those, those um, the Blake Snyder beat sheet. As I mentioned, um, I'll generally start with a law. I'll generally start with just sort of like a blues idea. And I'll, I'll, the first thing I generally will try and do is put it into a coherent log line. And then, you know, I'll try and put it into a loose 
Blake Snyder beat sheet, and then I'll start start flushing out the outline from there, and then eventually you end up with you know a pretty flushed out outline, and um, and then you go in and you start writing the script. But I would you know spending you know if I'm going to spend six months writing a spec script, spending a month or six weeks on just the outline is not um, at all unusual. Maybe even two months, and then four months writing the script, something like that. Um, so, so spend your time. I, I advise people spend your time on the outline because that will save you make the macro decisions when you're in the outlining stage and then make the, don't, don't make my macro decisions when you have final draft open, because you know, if your script is going to take a total left turn, which is totally fine, go back to the outline and make sure that it's going to work in your complete outline. Um, just be careful about making these decisions where your script is going to get sort of off you know, completely off target. If you really feel like that's a direction you want to go, close final draft and go back to the outline. But yeah, I do a lot of outlining. Do you always know what your ending is going to be before you start? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the outline is pretty is a complete, pretty complete, coherent version of the script. I mean, there's all the basic story beats and all the basic scenes are laid out. I don't know if I've ever counted. I mean, Blake Snyder will take his Blake Snyder beat sheet and put it into like a 40 point outline. I don't know that I've ever counted how many sort of point, how many scenes I have or sequences I have in my outlines, but you know, 40 sounds about right. Um, so I, I generally have a, a pretty solid outline. Definitely know the ending. Definitely know the beginning and, and most of the beats in the middle as well. Do you have any tricks that you've learned over time that kind of help you write? Well, I think one thing, and I've heard other writers write do this too, especially in the outlining stage, is you know don't get caught up on something that you don't that you can't figure out. Just keep filling in like the outlines. You know, it might be like two pages, so you can see the entire thing on one computer screen and just start filling in the parts so that there's there's no sort of friction. Like, oh, I don't know what to do, and then you just sit there, you know, for an hour and don't do anything because you don't know what to do. Just skip it, especially in the outlining stage. Skip to the places that are easy you know where you what your ending is going to be so write up your your ending in the outline you know what sort of what's going to happen in the middle you know there's some scenes you know you might know have one scene in mind but you don't quite know where it goes you know write the basic you know bullet points of that scene for your outline so just keep going over your outline and filling in the easy parts and maybe it, and i think what you'll find is you might get your outline like 80% done 90% done before you actually really hit a true problem and then you might need to take some time and there might be some you know staring at the computer term but that's i would say that's my biggest <laughs> tip is is just you know just do the stuff that's easy and and that probably is i would say even for final draft once you're in final draft writing you know if you get stuck on a scene just move on to the next scene you've got an outline so you basically know what's going to be um what's going to be in there the other tip i'd have is don't be afraid to write poorly i think a lot of writers are perfectionists and um just don't be afraid to write terrible stuff and you know rewriting it i found is a lot easier than writing so just you if you have a clear outline you can sit there and you can get the basics of the scene even if it's terrible you can get the basics of the scene in there and then you know move on and then later you can go back and kind of tweak that scene and and make it better and a lot of times you might find it's not nearly as bad as you thought when you actually first did it how do you write characters or figure out who your characters are yeah i mean i think i in in my outline i will generally t 
take a new section and I will just start, start, you know, free form writing about this character, you know, just basic stuff, maybe where they're from, what they're about, what their point of view is. Um, I generally try and maybe think of a person, you know, maybe that I know that was kind of amusing or funny or interesting and, you know, maybe give their dialogue, um, you know, the same sort of cadence as this person I know. I mean, it might not be like every character trait that that person had, but there might be certain character traits that a person I knew in real life, I'll say, I'll give it to this specific character. Um, and I might even combine them. Maybe there's two or three people I've known that did two or three interesting things and I'll combine those into a character, but just the more real you can make them, the better off you're going to be. The more, the, the more sort of clear idea you have of them, um, the better off you're going to be when you actually start writing your script and start writing their dialogue and, and start writing how they react and how they, you know, act in your screenplay. So when you do like a second or third draft, is there anything that you do in between your drafts that kind of like, I mean, do you, do you print out the whole screenplay and like go through it with a pen and work on it like that? Or what, what is your process for rewriting? Again, I, I, I'm in this writer's group, so I'm definitely workshopping in the writer's group. But I mean, for the most part, once I kind of get into final draft, as I said, I, I, I like outlining because I feel like I get lost. Once you have this hundred page document, you can't even remember like what scene came before this, what scene came before that. And so I try and just make sure my outline is detailed so that when I get into final draft, I'm not making like major revisions. So these different drafts, um, you know, these different drafts are not, there's not huge, hopefully huge swings and stuff. If I have to make like a story, a major story change, I will go back into the outline and kind of look at it there and piece it together in the outline and then go into the the final draft and, you know, copy and paste, cut and paste, whatever it takes. And you're getting feedback from the writers. I mean, do you guys sit around and exactly. read everybody else's stuff? Exactly. Exactly. Other people read their stuff. You read your stuff. You have, we have actors that, so it's like a cold reading type of thing. Actors sit on a stage. They read the um, material, the 25 pages. And then, and then the, there's writers in the audience. And then after the, so let's say there's 25 pages. It takes, takes about 25 minutes, 30 minutes to read it. Then the actors get off the stage. You go up as the writer on stage. And then and the other, you know, eight or 10 writers in the group, they will give you notes on there. And the actors will too. The actors sometimes have good notes as well. So the actors and the writers who just listen to your material will now give you notes on your material. Now, are, are there any common things that you see kind of novice writers doing in screenplays that are kind of, things that they need to grow out of or, or, you know, I I know a lot of people write, for example, what characters are thinking and things like that. I would say the biggest thing that I see um, is, or one of the biggest problems I see is that they're in, in novice writers is you're reading the script and you kind of just don't quite understand what it's about. You don't quite know where it's going. Um, And with really well-written professional scripts, like you always understand sort of what the goals are and what's sort of at stake. And, you know, as I said, I think a lot of writers, they get into final draft too quickly and they write a bunch of scenes and you're just like, I don't know where this movie's going. I don't know sort of what the direction it is and not in a good way. Like, Oh my God, it's so surprising. It's just like, I just don't know quite where this going. And I always like, you know, look at something like wizard of Oz as such a great example of, you know, classic structure. It's like, 
I mean, everything is very on the nose. She gets to the, the munchkins and they say, go to the wizard. He'll help you get home. She gets to the wizard and he says, I'll help you get home, but go get the broom from the witch. She goes and gets the broom. And it's like the goals are just very clear. You understand sort of the direction. There's twists and there's turns and there's surprises, but you understand the goal is to get home and how she's, what she needs to do to get home is A, B, and C. So. I would say that's very important. Um, a lot of a lot of novice scripts that I read don't quite um, understand that. You find that usually by a certain page, you're like, okay, I know this this isn't going. I mean, I usually find like page fifteen is is right around when if you don't know what's going on, you're kind of like, okay. Yeah. You know, the other thing, and, and I would say, go read some really good professional scripts. I mean, I just read the first um, <clears throat> ten or twelve pages of the script, Unforgiven. I. I, I you know, you can almost tell, um, like that script you're reading it and it's like you, the, the writer is so clearly in control of what you're seeing and how the emotions you're having and what you're thinking about these characters. And again, what I find from novice writers is you don't really like, I don't know how I'm supposed to feel about this character. I don't know how I'm supposed to feel about this situation. A scene happens and you just you don't know how am I emotionally supposed to react to this scene because the writer is sort of not in control of the material and you read really well done professional scripts and um, you know you under the writer is understands how the reader is going to be interpreting the, these you know words on the page and is you know able to like pull you along and guide you along and you just feel confidence in that writer and it's. Um, and I can almost tell, I mean, you know, you say, well, is there a page count? You can almost tell from page one. I mean, go read something like <laughs> Shawshank Redemption or go read something like Unforgiven or I just read um, the first pages of Natural Born Killers. Go read just the first page and it's like there's a there's a conciseness and a a a sort of a deafness to the writing. I mean, the writing is just, is so concise and the writer is so in control of what is being said. And there's the, every word on the page is, is, you know, in sync with every other word. And you can almost tell that from the first, you know, sentence. Um, you know, I taught tennis, I, I played tennis and taught tennis, um, you know, in high school and college. And, um, you know, to this day, it's like, I can literally see someone hit, hit, you're not even hit, like take half a swing with a tennis racket. And I can tell maybe not precisely, but I can tell pretty roughly how good someone is just by, you know, half a swing with a tennis racket, how they're holding the, the racket and swinging. And it's like, I don't need to see them play a set or a game or even a point. I can literally just watch them hold the racket and swing at the ball one time. And I can almost within a certain range, tell how good they are. And I would say the same thing for, for screenwriters, read some of these really good scripts and really pay attention to how, how you're feeling and how you're interpreting the words and then read your own script and, and be honest and, and tell even after a paragraph or a half page, are you really that in control of the words um, like these professional writers? We mentioned Unforgiven and Natural Born Killers. Are there any other screenplays that you feel like are just a must for screenwriters to read? 
Yeah, I mean, there's so many good ones. I mean, I and and a lot of this just has to do with the ones that um, that I've I've recently read. I mean, Legally Blonde. It's like it's again. It's just it's and I'm not like the demographic for a movie like that. But it's like I saw the movie <laughs> recently and I read the script and it's like you know it's just so well executed. You know the the character is just original and fresh. And there's so many great highs and lows. Um, I just read the Shawshank Redemption. I mean, obviously it's it's kind of the undisputed. It's an undisputed great script. It's like you know go read some of those just i i like to go to the um just do a google search for imdb top 250 movies and there's a list of the top 250 movies on imdb as you know users have rated them and shawshank redemption is number one but you know look through those top movies um and and read some of those scripts i would say the more modern movies are probably better examples to read some of the ones i just mentioned shawshank redemption natural born killers um you know, unforgiven. I mean, some of the more modern scripts are better to read than, than say Casablanca or the wizard of Oz, just because the style and the formatting was so different with those scripts. It's hard to really draw, um, parallels. Um, but yeah, so, so I think there's just, I, I read another script I read recently or within the last year anyways. Um, what's the Jake Gyllenhaal movie where he's, um, a soldier in this little time capsule, um, Time code. Yeah. Yeah. Source code. Yeah, that's source great. Code. Source, source code. code. Yeah, source code. yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. So that's just a great script, man. Just go read that and, um, and just really pay attention to your emotions and how you're feeling about the characters and, and try and understand, um, you know, as a writer, how you can accomplish that, how you can make people have genuine empathy. You know, I mean, that's what writing is really all about is, is evoking these emotions and, um, and, and how can you do that with words on the page, with just, you know, a keyboard and, and a blank screen. How can you evoke emotion in people and get people to really care about your characters and your situations and make people laugh and, and cry. Um, and these really good scripts do that. So, you know, source code unforgiven. Yeah, there's, there's lots of great ones. I, I don't, I think even reading bad scripts is probably a good exercise for writers too. So just read scripts, man. I mean, we, I have a, I have over a thousand scripts on the selling your screenplay library, just selling your screenplay.com slash library. So just go through there and just start reading scripts. I mean, it's all, free. I mean, there's tons of places you can find free scripts online. In terms of learning the the craft of screenwriting, or do you have any specific, we talked about Blake Snyder and, and you've mentioned Sid Field. Are there, other, are there any like really influential books for you that people could check out if they're just beginning screenwriting. Yeah, no, those I would definitely read um, um, Blake Snyder's Save the Cat. I like all three of his books. Um, so Save the Cat, Save the Cat Goes to the Movies, and Save the Cat Strikes Back. Sid Field's screenplay is very um, an instrumental. You know, it's a you know kind of a classic screenwriting book. So read that. Another good one is um, The Art of Dramatic Writing by Laos Egri. Okay. It's an older book and it was, um, it was written more sort of for playwrights than screenwriters, but he's all about character and, you know, finding your character and, you know, drama is about sort of the conflict with characters. So a lot of what you read in Laos Egri is very applicable to screenwriting. Um, but I would say if you read those three, Sidfield's screenplay, Blake Snyder's Save the Cat and Laos Egri's, um, The Art of Dramatic Writing, I would say you'd be in pretty good shape. No Robert McKee in there. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to think if I've ever even read his book. Um, I think I have. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think the Robert McKee book is good. What's the other one? Michael Haig. I think, I don't know if I read the mm-hmm. Robert McKee book, but I have read the Michael Haig book. Um, it just doesn't stand out. I don't know. But Blake Snyder, I like because it's just so accessible. He's got, I mean, it's like, 
I'm a slow reader and I bet I can read the whole book in six hours. So it's like really a quick read. So it's like, and then, you know, what does it cost? 10 bucks on Amazon or something. So it's like, there's just so little downside to just picking it up and reading it and um, take with it what you want. I mean, use it however you, you find it useful. Um, So I don't know. I just, I can't remember if I've read Robert, the Robert McKee book or not. I, I, I'm pretty sure I've read the Michael Haig book and you know, it, it, it seemed like it was perfectly good, but I think those three are, are, are probably like, you read those three, you'll have a pretty good understanding of sort of what screenwriting, you know, gurus are saying about screenwriting. Okay. I think reading scripts, I mean, read those books, but it's like, you know, the, I mean, I, I think, and I think everybody, no matter where you stand on the issue of screenwriting books, I think everybody who is a screenwriter would definitely say that the most important thing you can do as a, as a screenwriter is actually open up final draft, open up, you know, word making that is actually right. That's like probably 90% of your time. And then like, let's say, you know, 8% of your time should be reading other screenplays. So like 90% actually writing 8% reading other screenplays and then 2% of your time reading how to screenwriting books. Um, I would say that's kind of the the division. But as I said, something like like Blake Snyder Save the Cat, it's like it's like it's only gonna take you six hours. So I don't see a big downside to reading it. But the most important thing is to actually be writing. Right. And 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 don't let reading screen how to screenwriting books, you know, it becomes just a a way of of putting off the hard work of actually writing. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely true. I mean, I found when I was, I, you know, I've written a few screenplays and, and I actually found the books to be better after you started writing. So I would write a really bad screen re- screenplay and then I'd go back and like start reading the books and be like, oh, okay, well, that's what I was doing wrong, you know, and like figure it out like after you've already made the mistake. Exactly. Because it gives you context and it will make you sort of really appreciate what they're saying. So I totally agree. You just, you got to get in there and actually start writing screenplays and then, you know, in your free time, read some of these screenwriting books. I definitely think it's worth reading screenplays. I definitely think that's another mandatory part. 90% write screenplays, 8% or maybe even 9% read other screenplays. You definitely want to read other screenplays because that is a, is a lesson in and of itself. And it's important to understand sort of just the mechanics of screenwriting. Now, in terms of selling um, your screenplay, just going back to that theme for a second, what are the do you pay attention to like the trades and and you know do you keep up to date with the trends and and are there any online resources that you use regularly to kind of see what the the trend of the markets like you know seeing what's going on at the American film market or what's going on like Hollywood reporter or things like that I should probably do more of that but I I don't really I mean you know I certainly keep up with you know um, I mean, one of the YouTube channels I subscribe to is like called movie trailers. And so I'm constantly watching movie trailers, which is, you know, independent films, studio films, just, I, I just enjoy doing that. So, you know, when I'm lying in bed at night or something, I'll just flip on that and I'll watch, you know, a bunch of movie trailers. So that's that. But I would say one big source is ink tip has a weekly newsletter that I subscribe to. And, um, I find it's, you know, it's very interesting because the newsletter is from producers and they're looking for very, very specific things. And so I find that, you know, I do still look at Craigslist ads. Sometimes there'll be producers on Craigslist looking for material. My first script, Dish Dogs, I mean, I sold it basically through a classified ad in the back of Hollywood Reporter back in the late 90s. So, um, you know, I definitely try and, and, 
just talk to producers. As I said, this Inktip newsletter is very good. I can't remember how much it is. I think it's maybe thirty or sixty dollars every six months or something. Um, but even if you don't have a, if you're not submitting a lot of scripts to it, it can really educate you on what actual real producers are looking to produce. And I think it will surprise a lot of people. I mean, there's some like really specific stuff. You know, we need, you know. A thriller script for a 25 year old female actress. You know, it needs to take place in a remote cabin. We have the farmhouse location. So it's like, I mean, there'll be some really specific stuff. Um, what I'm seeing there is there's a lot of producers looking for stuff that has like a cross ties between China and the U.S., something that's not like anti-Chinese so that it will pass government censorship. But there seems to be a lot of money right now in China to produce movies. And so people want material that can kind of, you know, maybe it's about Chinese people in America, so it could play well in China, or maybe it's about Americans in China, but there has to be some sort of crossover ties in order to get this Chinese money. Um, so there's just, but there's things like that that you just pick up on, um, by reading this, this tip newsletter and, and talking to producers. I mean, just, you know, literally talking to the producers who you have contact with. And this trend towards China, is it just because it's such a gigantic market? I mean, I've seen a lot of stuff that's like they changed parts of Iron Man or something because of the Chinese market or something. You know, you'd have to ask a producer. I just know that but, there's, from a money standpoint, there seems to be money coming out of China to to fund movies. They seem to have um, you know, some sort of a market in China so that there's like a business model there. Um, or if there's not a business model, they haven't figured out that there's not a business model. So there's still some money. Um, so I, I don't know. I think that's really, it's just, it's an emerging market. I mean, China is growing in leaps and bounds. There's a, you know, the middle class is growing in China. So I think that there's more people who are watching movies. Um, and I think that will, that trend will continue at least for the, you know, the next few years. Now, I have one more thing, and then I'll let you go. Sure. Um, I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about the services you offer on your website and, yeah. and some something about that. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, I mean, the the the, the blog, I mean, is sellingyourscreenplay.com, and um, the main thing that I'm doing now um, on the blog is a podcast, and I guess that's how you, uh, you found me. And so you just go to sellingyourscreenplay.com, and once a week I publish a podcast, and it's typically with kind of an independent, you know, writer, director. And I just talk about their their films that they've done, how they broke into the um, the business. And I will have other people on there. I mean, um, I had the guy from Inktip, as I mentioned. I had um, Frank and Leonard from The Blacklist on the podcast. So, you know, anything that's kind of, you know, it's called sellingyourscreenplay.com. So I try and really keep it focused on, you know, how to sell your script. I have a free newsletter and I basically wrote up five lessons. And a lot of it is, you know, it's more detailed, but a lot of it is what we talked about today, how to write a log on, how to write a query letter. So I have an email list. If you join the email list, I basically send you these emails. There's five lessons and it's literally five lessons, how to sell a screenplay. And I go through all the five pieces, some of which we covered here. And that's just selling your screenplay.com slash guide. Again, that's totally free. You just get on my email list and then I send you these five lessons over the course of five weeks. So it's like sell, I, I call it sell a screenplay in five weeks. And then I have selling your screenplay select and by joining that, that's basically a monthly subscription fee. And by joining that, you get access to the classes. I just mentioned like Shawshank Redemption and Natural Born Killers. Uh, the reason I've read those recently or one of the reasons anyways is because I'm teaching these classes and I'm using those scripts to teach classes. And my next class coming up is um, how to write a killer first act. And I'm basically going through the entire process, you know, outlining your script, coming up with a marketable concept, outlining your script, the first few pages, the first act, the second act, the third act, and then 
and um, marketing the script. So that's kind of a, a series of classes. If you join SYS Select, you have access to all those classes. I record the classes, so no matter when you're listening to this in the future, if you want to join, that's that's great, and you can actually go back and listen to all these classes because I've recorded them. And then um, if you join SYS Select too, I also have a forum which you can post your logline and your query letter, and I will personally critique your logline and query letter and give you notes on that. And most of the people who do that also are doing it, and then um, they will purchase my email and fax blast service. And I have an email and fax blast service to agents and managers and then one to producers. And that's basically what I've been doing, and, and I've had success. I mean, I've optioned you know, four or five things over the last, you know, 12 or 18 months. Um, I sold one script outright and I did, um, get one nice paid writing assignment. And that was all through really just cold query letters using this email and, and fax blast service, um, which you can get, um, get into by joining SYS select. So there, do you have an agent blast as well? I do. I have an agents and managers blast. I mean, truthfully, I don't really recommend that to people. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, it's I, I and, and maybe part of it's just my personal experience. My my producers list is much bigger. It's like pushing close to five thousand contacts. My agent and managers list is is only um, you know like about five hundred. So if you just do the math on that, um, it's your your odds are not as good. So it's like with the agents and managers blast. If you have a really solid logline and query. Letter, you might get four or five people to respond and, and request the script. But, you know, my producer's list is about 10 times the size. So just do the math on that. If you have a really good logline and query letter, I mean, you'll get 10, 20, 30. I mean, I have people who have gotten 40 and 50 script requests from that. So it's just, nice. it's, it's a little bit more economical. I mean, on my end, it's like it's the same amount of work to send a blast to one list or the other. So the, the price is not that much different, but the results are much different. I also find newer writers, um, I, you know, they're, they're a little unrealistic with what getting an agent means. And most of the agents who are going to respond to a cold query letter, they're struggling agents themselves. So, um, even if you are able to land one of these agents, it's, it's probably not going to do nearly as much for your career as you may hope that it will do. Um, I mean, the really high end agents, they're not responding to cold query letters. So, you know, I would say just keep that in mind. It's worth doing. I mean, why not? I mean, it's, it's, um, if you can get a good agent, that's great. And that can actually help you with the producer's blast. Cause a lot of times the producer's blast, um, they'll say, well, please submit through your agents. So then if you have an agent and it's good fodder for your query letter, if you have an agent at a reputable agency, then you can put that in your query letter when you're blasting to the producer's list as well. It gives you a little bit more credibility, um, but um, but I, I the producers blast is what ha- I've had the most success with, as I said, over the last twelve or eighteen months. Um, so that's really what I recommend. Do you offer like a reading service as well? When you, I mean, I, do I just- yeah, I don't, I don't personally do. I you know, a lot of people are asking for that, so. I have a few writers that I work with, a, one producer and a couple of writers who I think are excellent, and they will read your script for a fee, um, and that's sellingyourscreenplay.com slash consultants, so you're, you're free to check that out. Um, the one producer is actually a producer, Mark Heidelberger. Um, he actually produced a couple of the films that I've written, um, so he's an excellent producer, and um, he helped me a lot as a developing writer years ago, he was my manager for many years. Um, and then I also have two other writers who both have, have credentials. I mean, they're like actual real writers, not just, um, script consultants. They have actual produced credits. Um, so if you're looking for someone who's like an actual working professional, um, I definitely recommend check that out to selling screenplay.com slash consultants. And when, uh, just one more question, <laughs> um, when, uh, when, when you've sold a screenplay, at what point, I mean, people, a lot of people are trying to build up their portfolio and they want to have obviously, 
their screenplays up on IMDb. Is there a point in the process when you sell a screenplay or if it's optioned or, or whatever, when you start having, how, how do you get your screenplay listed on IMDb? You know, it's a good question. And I'm not entirely sure about that. I mean, as the writer, that's not really ever something that I've done. Um, it's always the producers. I think it's always the producers who get that listing. Um, I've actually never submitted an actual project. Um, so I'm honestly not sure. I don't, my understanding is it's not that hard. I mean, IMDb is basically like a, you know, user generated, user edited platform. So I think there must just be some sort of a submission form where you submit your project. And then I think there's maybe some approval process. I don't know. I've heard over the years, it gets harder to get something on IMDb and then seems to get easier. Um, so I don't really have a good answer for you because I've never really done that. Well, that's all I have. <laughs> Do you have any other anything else? You'd like no, to no. I mean, I think that covered a lot of stuff, and it's um, it's actually a lot of stuff I don't cover in my own podcast. So I, I'm I'm glad to talk about some of this stuff and um, sort of the nuts and bolts of of the optioning and and my writing process. So no, it was it was interesting just to get that out there, and and hopefully people get something <laughs> um, get something out of it. I hope they they can learn something from it and maybe incorporate it into their own process. Oh yeah, well, I've definitely gotten a lot out of it. And I I appreciate it, Ashley. Perfect. Thank you, Jason. Well, this was good. I appreciate it, too. Thanks for listening to the Indie Film Academy podcast. Don't forget to join our newsletter for more tips and tricks on how to make and market your film online. Go to www.indiefilmacademy.com.